0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 206 with Heather Hooman. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 206. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Once Heather Hooman and her husband developed their careers enough to feel financially solvent, they decided it was time to start their family. Unfortunately, the journey to motherhood was very long and traumatic. In five years, Heaven endured seven embryo transfers, three retrieval cycles with fresh transfers, and four frozen transfers four miscarriages, and stillborn twins, before finally giving birth to her daughter, Aurora, prematurely in January 2016. Inspired by her own painful experiences with infertility and pregnancy loss, Heather launched a twice-weekly podcast called Beat Infertility in June of 2015. The show features both infertility warriors and fertility experts to empower listeners to educate themselves and become their own self-advocates. In her professional journey, Heather is the founder and president of Come Recommended, a PR company and a regular contributor to Entrepreneur and Inc. magazine. She resides in the Washington, D.C. area with her husband, their little daughter, and their dog, Mackenzie. I've been so touched by Heather's story, and I'm so grateful to have her on the show to share her experience with infertility and just to talk about her experience in relating to so many other mothers who struggle with loss and grief around pregnancy. I've known Heather in the online world for a while now as we've shared our stories with each other and with our communities, and it's been really inspiring just to see how graceful she is in how she shares and how she listens, and you'll just hear in her tone of voice that like, she's someone that you want in your world and on your side, and especially someone who manages painful and uncomfortable conversations in such a graceful, helpful, and supportive way. So I'm so excited to dive in with Heather Hooman. Heather Human, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today.
1: And I am glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I have to share with our listeners that this episode has been months in the making because of just the way life works. We've both had to reschedule for multiple things, So it now feels like an honor to finally be in the same place at the same time and make this interview happen. So I'm really, really excited to chat with you today.
1: Such is the mom life, is it not?
0: Totally, totally. At the beginning of our call said, I have this cough and I'm going to try to not cough because rescheduling again was not an option at this point. So we are just rolling with it today.
1: We are indeed.
0: Yay. Okay, so I want you to tell us a little more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio, and what are you most excited about right now?
1: It's funny. This is actually, I think, the toughest question you're going to
0: <laughs> ask me today.
1: <laughs> so I have a fairly complicated life in my personal life. <laughs> I'll start there. <laughs> yes, start I am, there. of course, a mom. And I run my own podcast called Beat Infertility, which is focused on bringing hope, education and self-advocacy to people who are struggling with
0: infertility.
1: And that takes up a good portion of my time as a podcaster. You know this is yes. not something that we devote just a couple of minutes to every week. It takes up a good portion of my time. There's also the fact that I am working on a book on infertility as well. it's It's based on the podcast, so focused on a lot of the same things, hope, education, self-advocacy, in terms of one's infertility journey. So, That is my personal life, in addition to, of course, being a mom. So all of that covers my personal side. The professional side, I am a business owner. I run a PR company. We don't like to refer to ourselves as an agency because we function very, very differently. But I work with technology and business type companies doing PR. So that is all that. But what I'm most excited about right now, this is going to sound ridiculous, probably, but... This morning, I deleted everything from my personal site, so heatherhuman.com. I deleted it all, and I am starting from scratch, and it was the most freeing thing ever. <laughs>
0: so great. So great. Isn't it interesting when you have those moments, and it's just like you have this newfound like openness and freedom and a new sense of direction and purpose because you don't have to be tied to something that's behind you? It's very exciting.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. I've just done so many things in the last couple of years and I felt that it didn't really represent my personal brand anymore. So I'm starting over and it will be very infertility focused. I'm going to be doing some coaching in the infertility world. So Definitely check that out. By the time this is live, that will
0: also be live, so people
1: can definitely check that out if they're interested. Yes,
0: we will for sure link that up in the show notes. So, and there'll be links mentioned throughout this episode. I already have a sense of a few of them that I'm going to be throwing out there, and I know you'll have some to add. So, make sure everyone listening, if you want to get any of those links and you don't have a place to write them down as we're going through. You can definitely go to the show notes over at shamelessmom.com, click on episode 194, and you can get access to everything Heather and I are talking about. So, I want to give a plug for your podcast because there's two parts to the way I need to acknowledge you right now. First of all, the fact that you have this other full time job that's not related to what you do with your podcast is very awe inspiring because, like you said, podcasting takes a lot of time and energy, and you are podcast content is you are so thoughtful about how you handle really delicate, really sensitive information. And I know that because I was on your podcast, so that's the second piece I wanted to address here, is being a guest on your show, I was able to see how thoughtfully and carefully you put together your episodes. Because you're talking about infertility, you're very careful to classify your guests in terms of whether people who are currently working through infertility versus someone who's already maybe had success beyond infertility. And so I know that that takes just so much time and attention and energy. And I am just blown away that you do that as like a little side gig, (laughs) because it's not just a little thing. It's really big and it's really significant.
1: Well, thank you so much. And it definitely is a labor of love.
0: I'm sure it is. And do you feel like now that you have so many people's stories in your hands and your heart that like there's no turning back?
1: Absolutely not. I mean, I really love it. There are, of course, days when I wish that it didn't show up on my calendar as something to do just because I have so many things going on. But once I'm actually on the phone and talking to people, I absolutely, uh, there's no turning
0: back. For today's episode, we have three fantastic sponsors and I'm so excited because I do handpick all of our sponsors and I only pick companies that I think will be a really good fit for you and also companies that want to give you a great deal. So our first sponsor for today is Freshly. Freshly is the easiest and most convenient way to eat healthy no matter what life throws in your way kinds of meals. So we all know dinner time can be super hectic, super frantic, really exhausting and what I love about Freshly is they take away the decisions around dinner You might not know, and this is just from my background as a personal trainer, I know some research around this, that you make 200 to 250 decisions around food every single day. Freshly takes a ton of those decisions out of your head. There's literally something called mental fatigue around decision making, and that pertains to food. And Freshly takes that decision making away. You order your food online, it gets delivered to your door, everything that they send your way is healthy, delicious. You don't have to guess about like if you're getting in the vegetables and the protein, it's all there and so you get your meals from Freshly delivered right to your door and you don't have to make decisions about dinner, which is the most freeing thing about ending your day, right? When you don't have to think about that. So to get started with Freshly, go over to Freshly.com slash podcast and you will be able to get $25 off your first order of six chef cooked dinners. Again, that's $25 off your first order. If you go over to Freshly.com slash podcast, this is a new link. The old links we were using are no longer active. So make sure you go to Freshly.com slash podcast. To get started with Freshly today. Right. So I'll make sure I link up my interview on your show. I've shared it on social media a few times, but I'll make sure it's also linked in the show notes if people want to get a sense of that. And then what I really want people to listen to is your story on your podcast, which you shared on your episodes 109, 110, and 111. And I didn't hear your story till after I'd been on your show and listened and shared my story. And then a few weeks later, I got on a plane and listened to all three of your episodes back to back. And was sitting on the plane, like crying and also laughing at times, like you did such a great job of sharing your story. And your story is just something that like no one could imagine. Your story could not be written by someone because it has so many aspects to it. So can you share a little bit about, I want everyone to go listen to all the details in the three episodes, but can you share an overview of your infertility journey and where you're at at this point?
1: Oh, gosh, I will try to be as brief <laughs> as possible. I know that's possible. a three-hour question there. <laughs> I was going to say that was actually the point of those three episodes, and it did take three hours, So, right. <laughs> but I will try to be brief. So I was actually diagnosed with endometriosis back in 2007. At the time, I didn't really understand because I wasn't planning to have a family at that point. We weren't talking about it. It wasn't part of the plan. Not that we weren't going to eventually do it, but not at that time. So I didn't understand exactly what that would mean for my fertility. And it was a shock to be diagnosed with anyway. I was actually undergoing emergency surgery for a burst ovarian cyst. And I, <laughs> it was just a crazy situation. I mean, I almost bled out in a Michael's craft store and oh I had to be rushed to Johns Hopkins. And when I came to, they told me that I had endometriosis, which I had never heard of before. So All of that information was very new at the time like I said in in 2007 there just wasn't a whole lot of information about endo at that point so I was in the dark for a really long time about what that would mean for me so once we started trying to conceive in 2011 I actually became pregnant twice, but I miscarried both times. So the first time I miscarried was actually on Mother's Day in 2012. The second time was in October 2012 and that one hit me particularly hard because it was just a weird situation. We were in Germany and you know, we had been trying for a while. At this point, it had been a year and we'd already had the one miscarriage. And the first time that I had really started tracking my cycles. And so we felt really, really good about that cycle that month. And then when we found out I was pregnant, it just all made sense. It felt like things were falling into place. And then I started having a lot of pain um, to the point where I couldn't stay conscious for very long. Um, It turned out to likely be an ectopic pregnancy, and I was treated very, very poorly by an ER doctor. I'll just leave it at that. Otherwise, I'll talk about this for forever. (laughs) We then went to a fertility clinic. We decided that, okay, you know, we're obviously having issues. It's been a year. We've had two miscarriages, very, very early miscarriages. And it's time to see someone. So we randomly picked a fertility clinic as close to our house as possible, which is definitely not how I recommend (laughs) anyone pick their fertility clinic, just for the record. And we stayed there for a really long time. So our first appointment was in November 2012. And we stayed there through May 2013. And they literally did nothing. Absolutely nothing. I underwent... A surgery a laparoscopy to remove endo again that was my second time having it removed so the first time was back in august 2007 and they also found some debris i don't even know what the right terminology is but as a result of likely that ectopic pregnancy so that was all cleared up and then they just seemed really resistant to do anything And for a while, I let that stand, and finally I said, look, this is ridiculous, I'm going elsewhere. And I actually did my homework the second time, picked a new clinic, ended up there, and we were pretty quickly moved on to IVF. My first IVF cycle was in September 2013. I became pregnant with twins. And that was all very exciting and very frightening at the same time. I had a lot of health issues throughout the pregnancy, lots of just complications in general. Being pregnant with twins turns out very, very, very hard on the body. Your body is not really meant to carry more than one baby at a time. If I could go back and do it all over again, I really wouldn't have transferred more than one embryo. I wish, honestly, that my clinic didn't even give us a choice. I wish they had just said, look, you are young. This is the first time you are ever doing IVF. Because we don't know exactly how your body is going to respond, it's better to be on the safe side. Let's just transfer one. Mm -hmm. because I had a good prognosis with IVF. Anyway, aside from the health issues I was having, because my body was definitely freaking out, the babies were very, very healthy, which was, of course, a blessing. There was nothing wrong with them. We saw a high-risk OB the entire pregnancy, and they kept telling me over and over again that they'd never seen such healthy and rather large twins before. So that was all very reassuring until I went to my 20-week appointment and my cervix was open. It was just a real shock because we left the house that morning thinking that we were going to be back after our appointments. And I was immediately rushed to the hospital and put on hospital bed rest for the remainder of my pregnancy, which at the time I thought was going to be A while and it turned out not to be. I ended up going into labor a week later. And despite the fact that I knew I was in labor, it was unfortunately a Sunday night and Monday was a holiday. So the only staff at the hospital was an OB resident. And she kept telling me that there was no way I was in labor, despite the fact that. I was having what I thought were contractions and they were getting closer and closer and closer and closer together. And by the time they were three minutes apart, she finally bothered to check me out. At this point, I had been in active labor for 10 hours. Oh my gosh. And yeah, she checked me and she said that she could actually see my daughter in the birth canal. And she basically told us that it was all over from there and there was nothing that they could do. And now it was just time to deliver. It was all incredibly shocking. Even though I I was in the hospital, I really didn't think that that was how it was going to end. After 28 hours, 27 hours, something like that of labor, I delivered both of my son and my daughter and they were stillborn. So that was how that ended. I ended up being diagnosed with an incompetent cervix which is exactly as it sounds, your cervix is basically (laughs) a complete idiot and is completely incompetent in the only thing the cervix needs to do. And after being told by every doctor I could find that this was not something that they wanted to prevent going forward, I couldn't believe it. It's it's honestly still the most shocking part, I think, about my journey. They said that with twins, it doesn't count and that you need to lose two singleton babies in that way before they will consider doing anything. And that wasn't acceptable
0: to me. Oh my gosh, absolutely not picture filters and they're specifically designed to combat understood explains, and it will pop right up, click on it, pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school.
1: So I did find a doctor who would help me and he installed what is called a transabdominal cerclage. It's a permanent cerclage. So Listeners might be familiar with the traditional cerclage, which is just a stitch that gets put in during a pregnancy. But like I said, is actually very major surgery and it is permanent. So I have to have C-sections forever, which is fine with me. I was always going to have a C-section with my twins. So this really didn't change anything for me. So I did that in April 2014. And then we didn't get pregnant for a while. We tried a couple of times. So June 2014, that was negative. August 2014, that was negative. And this is all via pre- IVF? Okay. Correct. Okay. So we're still working on the frozen embryos from the very first cycle. Okay. In October 2014, I got pregnant and miscarried in december 2014 i got pregnant again and miscarried this time i was actually pretty decently far along i was nine weeks we had already seen a heartbeat Mm. and i actually ended up having a dnc on the one-year anniversary of my twins being stillborn so for two years in a row i found myself in the exact same place it was awful there's no other way to put it It was one of the lowest moments of my entire life. The only lower moment I would say was the cycle after that. We were out of frozen embryos and it went wrong in every single way. My body didn't respond well. My eggs were all complete crap. I ended up having internal bleeding and being hospitalized for internal bleeding. And it was crazy. So that cycle failed. So that was April 2015, and I ended up starting the podcast as a result of that cycle because I was losing myself. Yeah. I absolutely recognized that, and I needed hope in my life. And I said, I think the only way I'm going to do that is if I talk to other people who've actually been through this and have succeeded. So. I did that. I started, I recorded my first episode on Mother's Day in 2015, and the podcast launched officially to the world in June 2015. Later that month, I had a, another retrieval cycle that went incredibly well, and I did my transfer on June 27th, 2015, and became pregnant with my daughter, Aurora.
0: Yay! Yay! A happy ending. (laughs) Yes, a happy ending, finally. Oh, so I have so many follow-up questions. Go ahead and tell us, how did you manage yourself during that pregnancy? Like, were you able to be hopeful and excited, or were you just tentative and nervous the whole time?
1: Like I said, I won't lie to you. I was a complete wreck. Mm -hmm. It didn't help that the pregnancy was fraught with complications pretty much from the beginning. I started bleeding, I want to say, 24 hours after a positive pregnancy test. It was that kind of crazy where, yeah, I was bleeding. They ended up moving my beta up sooner than it would have been. My clinic usually waits pretty long time actually after a transfer but they moved it up because I was bleeding so much Mm -hmm. and I had already gotten a positive pregnancy test so we wanted to see what was going on and then I had a couple of good weeks once that bleeding stopped but at around 12 and a half weeks actually the day that we got our genetic testing back that said I was having a healthy baby girl I stood up. I was sitting in a chair. I stood up and I was just covered in blood. Mm -hmm. I've never seen so much blood in my entire life. And I remember calling my husband and telling him that I was miscarrying in our kitchen and that he had to come home right now because I was bleeding so much. I was just completely frightened on multiple levels. And we called my doctor and they said, you know, Don't even bother going to the emergency room. They won't help you. So just come to our offices. So he came home. We did that and everything was fine. It turned out to be what is known as a subchorionic hematoma. It was the second largest one they had ever seen. Essentially, this is a blood pocket in your uterus and it was much, much, much larger than the baby. And it took seven weeks of heavy, heavy bleeding before it resolved. I then had a couple of weeks, and when I say a couple, I really do mean like two, of complete normalcy. And then suddenly, my daughter stopped growing. And from there, it was complete chaos and fear all the time. Mm She stopped growing the womb. We had every test under the sun done. We had weekly and sometimes bi-weekly appointments to say, hey, is she better off in or out of the womb today? And it was a nightmare. So I didn't really get to enjoy the pregnancy yeah. at all. We were constantly worried that she was going to die and in the end i actually ended up saving her life when they tell you to count kicks that is a very real and serious thing and i took that responsibility very seriously so i had and i forget of course what it's called now but the placenta was in front was it like a
0: previ- oh no just like the a post Anterior placenta, just where it's placed in your, correct. okay. Yeah. It's anterior. And then you don't feel as like, if you have that, you often don't feel kicks until later in the pregnancy.
1: You got it. You yeah. got it. So, and even when I did start feeling kicks, I imagine a lot, everyone else feels them much more strongly. So I had to really be paying attention. And the fact that she wasn't growing properly. So she was smaller than she was supposed to by a lot. So all of those things together meant I really, really, really had to be paying attention. And so we went in on a Thursday. We got the she's still better off in than out. By Friday, it had been about 24 hours since I felt her move. And Saturday morning... And when I say morning, I mean like 3 a.m. I got my husband up. I said, we are going to the hospital. She still has not moved. I called the on-call OB. They actually told me, don't come in. This is this is not a thing. You're fine. Everything's fine. You were just checked out on Thursday. I said, I don't care. I'll see you in a bit. (laughs) I went in and within five minutes of being at the hospital, I went into labor and they actually tried to stop it for a really, really long time. They put me through all sorts of torture, trying to stop it for 15 hours. And they finally decided that 1233 a.m. on Sunday to take her out. And it turns out that she could have died at any moment. Her cord was completely disintegrated. It didn't exist. And it had stopped feeding her God knows how long ago. So she could have been still born at any moment. So she was born six weeks early only three pounds, six ounces, and rushed off to the NICU for the first 18 days of her life.
0: Wow. I can't imagine the years of stress and anxiety that led up to that moment. And then to still not feel relief once, or I'm assuming, I mean, there might be was relief that she was there, but it wasn't complete relief because she's in the NICU. And that's still very concerning, I'm sure. Like at any point in this, were you able to exhale? Or is that something – and I want to – I know you have – there's like a continuation of the story now after Aurora is born where there's continued things to be fearful of. And I want to talk about that as well. But were you able to exhale at any point after she was born and during that hospital stay and feel like, okay, like we've made it and we're okay?
1: I honestly don't know if I have exhaled yet.
0: That was the sense I got from listening to the three episodes. So again, I'm going to tell everyone to go listen to the complete story there. But that's was the sense I got when I listened to episode 111 was that you still haven't been able to exhale. So do you want why don't you go ahead and catch us up to why you haven't been able to exhale since she was born?
1: Sure. So being born six weeks early, and in addition to that, having all the troubles that she had, unfortunately leads to health concerns often. In our case, the full extent of her health concerns weren't really clear to us until about six months after she was born. She was diagnosed pretty quickly with acid reflux and I'm sure that everyone is familiar with it. Honestly, I did not truly understand how bad acid reflux can be until we had Aurora and it really just sort of destroyed our lives. She couldn't keep any food down constantly vomiting like the exorcist. It was really awful. And our pediatrician didn't think that this was a big deal. He really didn't care that she wasn't keeping any food in her body. He did eventually send us off to a specialist, a pediatric gastro, who also, oddly enough, really didn't seem to know too much And we stayed with him for way too long because we, of course, knew even less. And by the time we sort of had things figured out, she, there's really no uh, no other way to put this. She gave up on us and started just refusing to eat altogether. So that was in, so she was born in January, 2016. That was in June of 2016, where she just started refusing to eat altogether. We have since then seen so many specialists. It's just ridiculous. She was eventually diagnosed with a feeding disorder, something that I never knew that this existed, but she has a sort of PTSD response to food. She's afraid of it. It causes her fear. And it's not just food. It's anything that comes near her mouth. So I'm sure you can imagine that just causes all sorts of problems. I mean, even if you want to just wipe her face, she'll shake. Wow. She'll shake with fear. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Um, she also has asthma, which again went undiagnosed for so long. So she was getting bronchitis and pneumonia repeatedly and normally, from what I understand, they don't like to diagnose asthma until they're at least two years old. But because they resisted it for so long, it went uncontrolled. And she kept getting these lung infections. As soon as she went on the asthma medication, we haven't had a lung infection since, which is fantastic. So it's under control right now. I mean, it's obviously still a big part of our lives. She has to get breathing treatments a couple of times a day. But it's under control, at least. Like We have not had a lung infection since then. And then the final piece of the puzzle is the fact that she had sleep apnea and restless leg syndrome. So those sort of go together in my brain. We knew something was wrong. She wasn't sleeping through the night, which doesn't sound too, too terrible or even abnormal, but it's the way she wasn't sleeping through the night. She was thrashing around like something was attacking her and that would last all night long. And as a result, we basically kept her in our king size bed and we were just awake 24 seven and guarding the edges of the bed because we just couldn't even remotely control her. You can't hold her. You just had to sort of let her thrash around. I don't even know how else to explain it. It was truly a weird thing. So she ended up being diagnosed, like I said, with thrustless leg syndrome. Um, Once she got on a very, very, very low-dose medication for that, boom, she slept through the night and has ever since.
0: Wow.
1: No thrashing, nothing. Just a couple weeks after that, she was diagnosed with moderate to severe sleep apnea. They said that she needed to have her tonsils and adenoids removed to solve that. But they weren't in a big hurry, except that about 10 days after that, she got strep and her throat swelled completely shut. So we went into emergency surgery to have her tonsils and adenoids removed and it has been life changing. It turns out that in addition to the reflux, she had tonsils that were so large, it was causing her to gag and food wasn't passing through properly, which we, of course, didn't know. Right. And so all of that time, she was gagging on food and making things worse. And <laughs> so anyway, that surgery was in May of 2017, yeah, that just happened this year. So that is kind of where we're at with her right now. She's incredibly small. She is frequently confused for a child that is much, much younger than mm-hmm. she actually is. But having said all of that, she is off the charts intelligent. I cannot <laughs> get over how much intelligence and personality she has.
0: Oh. And how old is she now?
1: She is 22 months today.
0: Okay. 22 months. Oh my gosh. So where is the feeding at now? Did that improve with the tonsils and adenoids coming out? Is she able to eat a little bit better or at all? It
1: improved, but it's definitely still an issue. So it is actually probably going to be an issue for many years to come. We're waiting for her to get older in order to qualify for some of the programs that are out there. Luckily, like I said, she's very, very intelligent. And so programs that are typically open to six-year-olds and up were actually being considered for. We're, wow. They're evaluating her every three months to see if she's mentally prepared because they have to be able to ask her to do things and she has to be able to follow right. the instructions. Right. But they are very much considering entering her into these programs and it's much more intensive. But yeah, for right now, she's seeing both a behavioral therapist and an occupational therapist who specializes in feeding um, both of those once a week. So it's an ongoing struggle, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Do you feel like since the surgery in May, like you've been able to establish some normalcy that like a predictable path in motherhood for yourself or not yet?
1: Well, I've gotten more sleep.
0: Yay. I mean, just that piece alone is huge.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that was such a huge problem for us. And it was so interesting to see it go completely away as a problem, literally overnight. And all this time, I mean, it's not I'm a very vocal person when it comes to things that I need and so it's not for lack of telling a bazillion doctors about all of these struggles we were having. We just were ignored for a really long time until we ended up getting an appointment with a pediatric neurologist. We were put on a wait list, we weren't originally supposed to see her until July of 2017 but there ended up being a cancellation and they called me and they were like, well, can you be here in like 45 minutes? And I said, yes, I ran and got Aurora at daycare and we headed right over there. And it was amazing. The doctor changed our lives because she immediately saw what we were seeing this whole time and said that it's not normal and we are going to take care of this. And that was in April, 2017. So yeah, it's been life altering in that respect and that obviously sleep makes a huge difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I had a lot of anxiety and insomnia in the first few years after Vinny was born And I finally, I've talked about this on different episodes of the podcast, but I finally started taking a low dose of a sleep aid. And I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't gotten more than like four hours of uninterrupted sleep in years. And it has been life changing. I've been on this low dose of medication for like a year now. Oh, and I have to go back to the doctor to like get my prescription renewed next week. And I'm like, I can't wait to talk. Like, I'm so excited to go and be like, oh, this has just made my life so much better. Because like when you're in it as a new mom, Like you can't make it about you. So you just don't make it about you. But your mental health and physical health can really, really suffer. And you don't even put it together until you're out of that, like until you're beyond that point. And then you can look back and be like, oh, my gosh, how did I even do that? And your period of surviving through that was a really long time.
1: It was. And looking back, I really couldn't believe it was almost a year and a half that we were going on really no sleep at all because it took both of us to keep her in our king size bed. That's how much she was thrashing around.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. So one of the things that really intrigued me and I could very much relate to in listening to your, when I listened to your full story is that you said that you regretted being so completely sucked into your infertility journey And we're really open that you put your whole life on hold for a really long time. And I think that a lot of people going through infertility can relate to that. I certainly can. And my husband even said when we started talking about doing IVF a year and a half ago, or longer than that, but anyways, he was like, we can do this, but it can't take over our whole life, which was like offensive to me. But I really let our infertility take over our whole life to the point where I was like, well, I don't want to travel and I don't want to book anything because what if I'm pregnant and what if I'm not? And like, whatever. So talk a little bit about that and what is your advice to women who might be in that situation and they might feel that kind of that paralysis of infertility?
1: Well, I definitely recommend not to do that. (laughs) I tend to do that with really every aspect of my life. Mm. I give things that I'm working on my full attention and I really convinced myself that if we didn't do that, that we would just stop trying. Yeah. And that was my big thing. And that's a personality flaw on my part. I absolutely recommend that people still take vacations, people still travel. I mean, my goodness, you can always cancel a trip, Yeah, yeah. you know, and at the end of the day, like, let's say you even lose all the money for that trip. It won't matter it absolutely won't matter. And I truly wish that I had done things differently and had taken much better care of myself. Even during my pregnancy with Aurora, I wish that I had allowed myself more hope that things were going to be okay. But I mean, obviously, there are pretty good excuses that I have. I mean, I oh, was yeah. seeing all these doctors who who were not convinced that things were going to be okay. Right. So I do have some great excuses. But I think that you really have to take care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, In it will benefit you in the end. And I think that the... Oh, at the risk of sounding silly or crazy, I really do think that that brief period of time where I was incredibly hopeful after starting the podcast is what turned things around for me. I mean, it's really the only thing that changed. Yeah. And suddenly, I had eggs that were of good quality, and we obviously had good results. And everything went well when my mind was in that so and in order
0: to do that you can't put your life on hold right right I love that you brought up the podcast and how that was such a ray of light for you and brought you so much hope during that time and I think that it's so fascinating and really impressive that you decided to launch a podcast while you're in the middle of a very traumatic situation that had been an ongoing traumatic situation what have you gotten from hearing all these stories? And I know some people are still in the middle of their infertility journey. I know you've heard a lot of success stories. Like what have you personally gotten? And then what do you also see as some of the hidden or maybe unexpected gifts of infertility, which might sound like a really weird and inappropriate phrase, but I think that there's some truth behind there being some gifts there.
1: Well, I think one of the best parts is that I have seen all the different ways that the journey can Take place and end Mm -hmm. because there's not one path that leads to quote success. Right. And even the word success can be defined differently depending yeah. on your situation. And that has really fascinated me. <laughs> it's the reason I'm writing a book because there's just not one path. There are so many paths and so many options. And frankly, not all of them end with a baby. But that doesn't mean that there's not hope and happiness in your life. Life. Right. So that I think has been the one big learning experience for me. Yeah, all the different ways to achieve sort of the same goal. And in terms of the positive aspects of infertility, I have met just so many amazing people and people who I consider close friends now which is amazing. I never thought that I would find a community where I felt so at home. I'm naturally an incredible introvert. <laughs> I am very very introverted despite the fact that I like to talk. That is a complete <laughs> myth that introverts is. don't don't like to talk. <laughs> we just have to find our people. Right. And then we love to talk, and you can't get us to shut up. But yeah, so I think all the wonderful people that I've met would Mm -hmm. be the gift that I've received. In addition, of course, obviously, to my daughter. Right,
0: right, right. I love that. I love the idea that success can look like so many different things. And I think that's so true. And I know that this has been something that I've considered that has helped me so much since we knew I would never be pregnant again after IVF failed about a year and a half ago. And It took me some time, but definitely I started to be able to see that like there's still other doors that are open that I can choose to walk through at some point. And so some of that looked like I've done a couple interviews with foster parents where I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't ever have to close any doors. Like there aren't limits on mothering unless I put them there myself. And so like for a long time, it was very tied into like my eggs and my age and all these other constraints of my husband and my situation. And when I started to realize that My ability to mother can look like so many different things. And it might mean that when I'm 57, we decide to do like temporary foster placement. That was so freeing that I was like, oh, I don't have to be so panicky about right now because I have options down the road. Like there will always be ways to mother. And maybe it's through my podcast. Maybe I don't actually ever have another baby in my house. But just my opportunity to connect with other women and be a support service to them and a support system to them, maybe that's my opportunity to mother on a bigger scale. So I, that was so freeing when I started looking at that. And I love that you talk about different ideas of success because I really think that's what it can look like. And like you said, it doesn't always end with a baby, but that doesn't mean that you don't end up finding a way to have a successful ending to your journey.
1: Exactly, exactly. I think you put it really well. There are so many different ways to be a mom. Maybe that's being a really good aunt to your nieces and nephews. I mean, there are just so many ways. And really, you shouldn't close any doors. Because I think that that's where the hope and the happiness ends. If you close all the doors and close your mind to the possibilities.
0: Right, right. So I have a question for you about what do we say to our loved ones going through infertility? And I know that for me, I'll share a little bit of my experience. I had a lot of friends who were getting pregnant when I was trying to get pregnant, and many of them knew what we were going through. And I would get these phone calls where they were like, hey, I just need to tell you something. And I was like, yeah, you're pregnant, right? (laughs) And they were like tiptoeing around it, and they didn't know what to say. And they felt awful. And I felt awful. And Everyone was like, you know, being as sweet and as loving as they could possibly be, but they also just didn't know how to relate to me. And now, since sharing my story, I've had friends and people who've reached out to me to talk about what they're going through. And it can be really hard to know what to say because it's so touchy and sensitive. It's so easy for someone to feel like someone said the wrong thing to them. So do you have advice to people who might have loved ones going through infertility? And what can people do and say to be supportive?
1: So are you talking about when they are announcing a pregnancy or just in general?
0: Just in general. Yeah, not specifically that. Just in general, if you know that someone is going through infertility and they might be suffering as a result.
1: Yeah. So I think that the best thing that they can do is listen and offer to listen and be there. Ask them if they need anything any help and what they can do to help if they are interested in that. But I honestly, I think the people with infertility just want the opportunity to be heard. And yeah, I mean, even if you don't exactly understand what someone is going through, that doesn't mean you can't empathize with them. I mean, I thankfully have both of my parents, but I know people who don't. And just because I've never been through that doesn't mean I don't empathize with their situation. And I want to offer my support in any way that I can in any way that would be beneficial to them. And I think that really, this is no different.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that rather than giving advice, just always asking how you can be helpful is the way better route, safer, more supportive route to take.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Just leave advice off the table. (laughs) Right.
0: Totally. I had a friend who had multiple miscarriages and she already had a baby and then had multiple miscarriages. And she was talking about like the things people would say and she's like, oh my gosh, like, can they not just like ask me if I need some food today? (laughs) Like that would just be way more helpful than trying to like share other anecdotal things that just never made her feel better, and understandably so, so I totally agree. I want to know in what ways you are a shameless mom.
1: This is the other question that I sort of struggled with when you (laughs) sent me the questions because I don't know, I mean, I guess right now I have realized that taking care of myself is one of the best ways I can take care of my daughter. It's like when you're on a flight and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you help other people. And I really try to live that now and take care of myself so I can be there for my daughter in in all the different ways that she needs me because Yeah, if if I'm not taking care of myself, how on earth am I supposed to take care of her? So I think that that's probably the best answer I can give you.
0: I love that. And do you have some examples you can give us of how you take care of yourself, aside from sleeping now?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Although I don't sleep as much as I think a lot of people, actually. I work very bizarre hours, but I am... exercising every single day. Yes. I always tell people that I would probably be a horribly mean person if I didn't exercise.
0: Oh, that is 100% me. I actually this morning went to go running. and I'm having this ongoing knee issue and I had to turn around after three blocks. And I was like, that's it. My day's ruined. <laughs> and because I was like, what am I going to do if I didn't get my run in? So I came home and did some other stuff. But yeah, I 100% agree. I'm very... Enthusiastic and supportive of the people who choose to exercise as a way of taking care of themselves. I just think there's so much to be said for proving to yourself that you're strong and powerful through a workout every day, whether it's like five minutes or 50 minutes or an hour and a half. I think it's so powerful. So I want to hop over and do our shameless mommy minute. So are you ready for the lightning round?
1: I am indeed.
0: Okay. What is your favorite way to treat yourself?
1: Reading a book.
0: Nice. Perfect segue into the next question. What is the current book that you're reading or the last one you read?
1: I am currently working my way through The Glass Sword, which is book two in the Red Queen series.
0: Oh, I'm not familiar. That sounds... You should
1: definitely look it up. It is very good.
0: Okay, I will. What is one morning ritual you can't live without?
1: That would be my workout.
0: Nice. Who is your biggest inspiration?
1: I would have to say my mom. She Mm -hmm. is the quintessential super mom.
0: Oh, I love that. Does she live near you? I'm trying to remember because I remember you talking about her on your episodes.
1: She just moved out to our area. She used to live in in Chicago and I'm in Maryland. So we were very far apart for a while. Okay.
0: Oh, that must be really nice to have her close. It is. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? Why?
1: So this isn't, I guess, a superpower, but a clone. I would give them a clone. <laughs> oh, nice. And as a result of that clone, they could have the clone do all the things that they didn't want to do or didn't have time to do.
0: I love it. We all need one of those. Yes. Some, we might even need more than one sometimes. Perhaps, yes. <laughs> so Heather, I so appreciate you being here. I so appreciate everything you shared about your journey. And I'm so glad you have little Aurora with you now and that she's doing better. And I want to just add on to your ways that you identified as being a shameless mom, because from an outsider's perspective, I would say you were like, you were the epitome of a shameless mom before you had a baby in your arms, just fighting for motherhood so valiantly and might not have always felt valiant, but fighting for so long to get what you wanted and then continuing to fight and be such a huge advocate for your daughter since she's been born. So I see you as being a shameless mom in so many different dimensions and such dynamic ways that are just really, really profound in ways that a lot of mothers can't even begin to relate to because you've been through so much to get to the start line of motherhood. So I really appreciate you being here and taking the time to share your story and share so openly with everyone.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for having me.
0: So tell us where we can find you. And then when your book comes out, if you're doing press for it, you have to come back and talk more about it if you're up for it. So start with where we can find you and then just tell us a little bit about if there's anything you want to tell us about the book.
1: Yeah. So the book isn't going to come out for an eternity, but absolutely, I will come back. The best place to find me will be heatherhooman.com. And let's see, the podcast website is beatinfertility.co, so that one is not a .com, but those are the best two places to find me.
0: Got it. Okay, that will all be linked up in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com. Click on episode 206 with Heather Human. Thank you, Heather. We will talk to you again soon.
1: Sounds good. Thank you so much.
0: I hope this episode was helpful to you. And if you know anyone who's suffering from infertility or pregnancy loss, definitely connect them with Heather and her podcast as a resource. I think it's such a positive and powerful resource out there. You will hear all sorts of different stories. And she marks her episodes as journey stories and success stories. So if you don't want to hear about everyone else's success when you're suffering your own loss, you can pick which episodes you listen to that might be most applicable to you, which I just think is such a thoughtful thing for Heather to do. Because I know that from my own personal experience, when you're suffering a loss, you don't really want to hear about people's success. <laughs> and also at times that can be helpful in hopeful. But there's a lot of times where you're like, yeah, I don't want to hear about your pregnancy when that's not happening for me. So there's both ends of that to be found on Beat Infertility. There's lots of resources in the show notes today, including links to find Heather and connect with her. Also, the full story, Heather's full story, which she tells across three entire podcast episodes on beat infertility. I listened to this on a plane and was just transfixed by her journey. I listened to all three episodes in a row without interruption, and it was just so amazing to hear everything she has gone through and the depth to her story, and also the like seeming grace that she handles all of it with. It's just unfathomable what she's gone through, and it started well before pregnancy for her. So if you're interested in that story, definitely listen to that. And again, those links are over at shamelessmom.com. Click on episode 206. Like I said, please share this episode with people who you think might be impacted by it. Infertility is something that I am always wanting to talk about in more open and productive ways because it's something that so many women have shame around or struggle with in silence. And that can just be a really hard, hard, uncomfortable, painful road to be on by yourself. And then it can feel extremely isolating. So if you know someone who's suffering, please point them to either this podcast episode or to Beat Infertility as a resource. If this is your first time listening to the Shameless Mom Academy, know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So please do come back in just a couple of days for another great episode with us. And you can subscribe to the show. So So you never miss an episode if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review when you're there you can click on the subscribe button so that will pop you into our podcast platform where you hit this blue subscribe button and you will be able to get all episodes as soon as they are released you will never miss a show And you can also leave a review while you're there. So if this episode has been meaningful to you, please do leave a review over at shamelessmom.com forward slash review to let us know what you thought and to let us know how this show positively impacted you. Thank you for spending time with Heather and me today. We so appreciate you being here. And no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.